Hey everyone, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Device Talks Weekly. Before we get started, I want to let you know that in our next episode, I'll have some details for you about a new program rolling out at Device Talks. It's going to be an excellent opportunity for you not only to hear from the leaders of the space, but to engage with the leaders in the space and to do it from the comfort of your office slash home, wherever you're getting the job done. We want to bring Device Talks to you. So uh, stay tuned and look forward to telling you more. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salami. Welcome back to Device Talks Weekly. It's great to have you here. And it's great to be on the line with my partner in crime, my partner in podcasting, Chris Newmarker of Mass Device. Chris, how's it going today? Hey, doing well. Great to be back. <laughs> it's great to have another opportunity to tell uh, some great med tech stories. We're speaking today with uh, with Aaron Tucker over at the University of Minnesota about their Coventer ventilator. We'll get into that interview in a little bit, but uh, I know you folks are busy over there at Mass Device. I mean, this is uh, the first or second week of April. You're looking at a lot of quarterly earnings coming down the pike. This is going to be an interesting one to watch, given uh, obviously all that's transpired over the last six weeks. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we've uh, I mean, we, there's there's a lot of uh, many medical device companies at this point have now said like you know 2020 guidance out of the window. Um, you know, who knows what's what's going to happen? Um, you know, obviously like losses. You know, they're always each of them are already saying like. You know, like they're they're looking at a, a you know decent amount of you know revenue losses you know from from all of this. So, you know, as we get these uh, Q1 um, earnings coming down, we'll uh, you know we'll get a better idea of you know just you know you know just what like the beginning of the pandemic was you know doing to to, to medical device company revenues and earnings. So it'll be uh, it'll be really interesting to to follow as this uh, comes down. So, Chris, let's. Give our listeners a little uh, sort of insight on on how you folks are handling earnings. I mean, you basically are uh, taking the news as it comes. You're getting it out quickly on the mass device. I mean, how, how big of a part of your life is uh, is the earnings season at mass device? Oh, I mean that. I mean it's. Um, I mean it's just it's just crucial with what mass device does. That I mean we you know we're trying to get you know the earnings news out as quickly as possible. You know, especially for the. Uh, you know the really the, the major companies. I mean, we're we're talking here on uh, on Thursday, and you know, just today we had a, you know Abbott earnings out this morning, and you know, it's uh, you know they uh, they beat the street on their their first quarter, um, but you know they're suspending their twenty twenty guidance because you know who knows what's going to happen with everything. Um, Abbott's doing a lot of exciting stuff uh, related to fighting the coronavirus uh, pandemic, um, you know, and, you know, including, um, especially when it comes to, you know, tests for the virus. In fact, Abbott, uh, you know, just, just the other day said they're releasing, um, they're going to get like millions of, uh, antibody tests out, um, which is a, is a big deal because I mean, an antibody test can tell whether someone has had the, the virus in the past and recovered. And, 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 you know, they, they really are the only, they're really the best way to, you know, to figure out like how widespread was this pandemic, how much of the population has had it, and hopefully has some kind of immunity to it. You know, as we, 
as you know, as our policymakers try to de- decide, like, you know, how to get this con- this country reopened. Um, yeah, so, I mean, they're, they're doing a lot, but at the same time, they're in the same boat as a, a lot of other, you know, medical device companies. They, you know, the, the, the fact that electric, elective procedures, you know, not really happening right now as hospitals are trying to deal with the pandemic, even, you know, procedures that people need, you know, really, you know, but including like you know, heart devices, you know, stuff for stroke, you know, that's, you know, that might not be happening. Um, I, I saw it especially disturbing column in the New York Times um, a week or so to go from a Yale professor who was saying that, uh, that, that, you know, hospitals are eerily quiet when it comes to heart attack patients and stroke patients coming in, which kind of suggests that people might be having symptoms and not going to the hospital right now. I mean, that's, that's terrifying, but, you know, and that, that affects, uh, that affects the, uh, you know, the revenue and, you know, profits of, you know, major cardio device companies because they're, they're not, um, you know their their devices aren't uh, aren't going into people right now. Hey everyone, Tom here. I'm going to take this quick break from this conversation with Chris. One thing I want to do with this podcast is sort of bring some of the earnings comments to you. So this week we're going to hear from Robert Ford. He's the new CEO of Abbott. He uh, had a call with analysts last week, and I just took a few uh, few comments. I thought some of the highlights of the conversation. It was really interesting. Thought some great uh, Q and A with the analysts and some uh, some good points of view on where Abbott is heading and perhaps where the sector is heading. But overall, Abbott did fairly well in the first quarter. It showed uh, 4.3% organic growth and uh, $7.7 billion in revenue. So given all that's gone on, uh, not a bad quarter for Abbott. And of course, Abbott's been at the forefront of developing new tests, new diagnostic tests for COVID-19. It has three tests currently out on the market, ID Now, which is more of a point-of-care test, MD2000, which is uh, done in laboratories, and it uh, recently gained approval for its uh, serotology test, so we'll be able to uh, test for those critical antibodies. Pulling this comment from Robert Ford, just to uh, give you a sense of how Abbott approached this task of developing these diagnostics. Let's listen. So in, in mid-February, um, when we saw that the virus was not going to mimic what we had seen in maybe previous viruses like a SARS or a MERS, for example, and we saw that this was going to be something much more significant, much more widespread, we, we assembled four different, different and independent R&D teams uh, to go about it in individual groups. I mean, there was obviously some collaboration between them, but we wanted them standalone going after four different types of tests, a, a molecular lab test, uh, a molecular point of care test, a lab-based serology test and a lateral flow serology test. And you know, we did that not because we thought that we needed you know, uh, four shots on goal here to try and get one or two of them to, 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 to get it. Uh, we, we understood, given our experience here, that all four of these tests, all four of these different types of testing uh, would be needed. Uh, all four of them had a different value proposition. So if you look at, you know, the lab-based systems, they're more high throughput, get a lot of tests done. There's a little bit of a, of a turnaround time there, one, two, three days, et cetera. But we knew we needed uh, that kind of testing volume. Uh, we also knew that we needed fast, immediate, uh, more faster, immediate results, uh, maybe with the notion of having some portability where you'd be able to take the test straight to uh, testing uh, people and not having to uh, restrict them to having to go to a lab or a hospital. 
and we also knew that there was going to be a need for mass volume screening. Um, so when we look at the assembly of these four different tests that we've been working on, uh, that's the, that was the goal, to understand that there's a viral progression uh, that occurs where in the beginning, in the early stages, you need molecular testing uh, to be able to diagnose if somebody has the virus. And as the degrees progresses and uh, people start to build antibodies for that, you're going to need a different type of, of test and in different formats of the test. So I would say every single one of our programs here either met or, or beat their target dates. And, and there's probably two reasons for that. One of them is, uh, I'd say, a, just a very passionate and committed scientific and manufacturing team here that really went 24-7. Uh, I mean, one of our teams uh, split in two so they could go 24 hours a day, 10 days a week to be able to continue the work and doing the work. Uh, so uh, that's a, a one key driver. And, and I'd say the other one here, and we've talked a bit about this, is a very collaborative, science-based approach of our work with the FDA. Uh, throughout every step of our development process, we worked real time with the FDA, sharing them our technology, sharing how are we going to do the clinical, sharing with them the results, taking input and feedback from them on, on a real time basis. And I think the combination of those two factors really allowed us to, uh, uh, to, to do this, uh, the, at least these three tests here in, in record time. One thing I wanted to add about Abbott is that I did try to get a spokesperson from Abbott on the program to talk about their success with diagnostics, but understandably, they're very busy. So I'm glad we were able to uh, bring Robert Ford's comments to you. And as I said, there was some uh, great exchanges between Robert Ford and the analysts, and in this clip, Robert Ford gives his forecast as to where Abbott and maybe where the healthcare sector is headed and when we may see a rebound. Let's hear what he has to say. So if I look at this data, and uh, we've, we've looked at it uh, various different ways, we've run a lot of different forecast models and sensitivities here, there's a couple things that I can see uh, ahead of us here, right? The first one is Q2 will likely be our, our, our toughest quarter in the year. Uh, especially, I would say, for our core uh, lab business and our cardio and, and, and neuro businesses. Um, th this will probably be our, our, our toughest quarter for those. And I, and I think our consumer businesses will, will continue to perform at the trends uh, and, and dynamics that, that I had just explained. The second thing that we can see here, based on, based on our modeling, based on the data that we're seeing from, uh, that we're collecting on a daily basis, is that we can see a recovery into Q3 and into Q4, uh, especially for these more elective procedures. You know? uh, there, there are some that, you, yeah, you can push out, but they are important. Uh, they are life-saving. They are solving uh, some significant problems, whether it's a stent, uh, a pacemaker, uh, repairing a, 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 a mitral valve. We will see those start to come back the same way that we started to see in some of, uh, you know, in some of the earlier markets that have kind of, you know, that they are further along in the recovery. I don't believe that they're going to come back at the, uh, at the same speed uh, that they came down. Uh, but like I said, these are important procedures, and I, and I do see them uh, coming back. I've talked to a lot of uh, 
uh, a lot of health systems, a lot of CEOs from health systems, and uh, you know they are uh, they are already talking about you know how they are planning uh, to uh, start to work with some of those uh, elective procedures. You know, it, it, it'll be a V-shaped. I don't I don't think it'll be a uh, you know I, I think the right hand side of that V-shape will be uh, definitely a little less steeper uh, than the uh, than the left hand side of that V-shape. But I, I think we're going to see that that recovery uh, in, uh, in in Q3 and Q4, at least that's what our data is suggesting. Right. Well, I hope you enjoyed those comments from Robert Ford. I thought the call was interesting. And we'll try to bring you some more uh, comments from earnings calls as they come out. And next, I'm excited to welcome Danielle Kirsch to the podcast. Danielle is a senior editor at WTWH Media. She works for Mass Device and MDO, and she manages a lot in addition to writing a lot of our stories and a lot of our more popular stories. She also manages a lot of our bigger projects, including our new MedTech 100 index. So I'm going to talk to Danielle about that index. It's a great new tool for any of you who are tracking the uh, the goings on on the public markets, the uh, the ability of the large companies to sort of compensate with what's happening with COVID-19. It's a great tool. You should definitely check it out. You can find it both on Mass Device and our medical design and outsourcing websites. Now let's hear from Danielle. Well, Danielle Kirsch, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. You are a senior editor of Life Sciences at uh, WTWH Media. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself. How long have you been here? So I've been with the company since around December 2016. And I basically just do a lot of reporting on financial information and anything that comes through the newswire. And uh, big, big projects as well. I, I know we're going to talk a bit about the index in a moment, but... Uh... The origin of that, if I'm right, is is the big 100 list that, uh, that you work on every year. Can you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that uh, about that project and what information it delivers? Right. So the big 100 list is put together each year around September, but throughout the year, I go through literally over 100 annual reports from some of um, some publicly traded medical device companies. And in that list, we report on annual revenue, research and development expenses, employee headcount, and the patient mass device team then goes through all those numbers when it comes crunch time to put it into print. They make sure that, you know, there's no discrepancies. Everyone goes through each annual report, make sure we got the right numbers. And yeah, and that includes companies like Medtronic, Boston Scientific, and all the big medical device companies that you can think of. I'm curious, you've been covering MedTech for a few years now. You, you obviously are doing a great job in, in, in getting to really know the sector, especially through the diligent research you're doing on the big 100. The pandemic has been a real change of pace. Uh, and I think it's the first one that a lot of people, especially people who are somewhat newer to the industry, the first big disruption to how things are going. I wonder what you're, how are you sort of taking all of this in, sort of the, this this it's a it's a global change. It's a it's a big seismic change. It's seismic for even folks who have been covering this for a decade or two, like myself. How are you sort of reading the the landscape uh, during this pandemic? Right. So it's been really interesting to see what's going on because every day when you log in and see that all these companies, Abbott, Medtronic, usually they'll be releasing products that aren't related to COVID-19, but now it's just, we've seen an influx from everybody. Everybody's doing a test. Everybody's trying to make a vaccine. And there's not a lot of device news that I've seen recently, just because 
every, I, I feel like everyone's just um, dropping everything to focus on this one thing because it is such a big deal right now. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I see right now. That's a great point. And as I said, I know this has been compared to 9-11 and to the recession in 2008, but this is really the first global emergency that uh, med tech companies can have a direct hand in, in, uh, in, in, well, in going after and in, in, in improving testing and improving treatments and in, in providing the equipment that's necessary. So it really has been something, you're right, to see everyone sort of pull together and, and push forward. To that point, the, the, the index is a, a great project that I think you've spearheaded, and I know you've had a lot of help in it, but let's talk a little bit about how that came together and uh, what what folks can uh, what access what information can folks pull from all that hard work that, that everyone has been putting into the uh, the medtech index the medtech 100 index is basically just a crib off of our annual big 100 list to keep track of the stock performance of uh, some of the biggest medical device companies in the world and some of the things you can find in there are the market cap what their stock is at the end of the day even minute by minute for some of the U.S.-based companies. Um, but it's literally like any other stock index that you'll find online. But it's just it's just the stocks of the top companies in the world. And it'll change day to day because I know we're, uh, we're here at earnings, uh, earnings month. We're going to get a lot of Q1 earnings. And this has been a really challenging quarter for a lot of companies with the, the move away from certain surgeries that aren't COVID-related. Uh, do you anticipate sort of those numbers changing frequently and uh, recommend people come back and uh, keep an eye on that index? Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, the index is really, uh, I think, a big deal for us because we do report on the quarterly reports every year. We, it's earning season, as we like to call it. And usually we use other other websites to look at the stock performance, but the stock performance is really important when those earning reports come out. So I think it, the index is really a good uh, judge for how all these companies are doing right now. Well, thanks, Danielle, for joining us. And uh, just so our listeners know, there was a bit of a technical difficulty right at the end. Our thank yous and goodbyes were cut off, but goodbyes aren't really necessary because Danielle and other members of the Mass Device and MDO teams will be regular parts of this podcast. Next, I want to introduce our guest of the week. Aaron Tucker is a lab supervisor and technical development coordinator at the University of Minnesota Earl Bakken Medical Devices Center. As you all know, last week, the center gained FDA approval for its Coventer ventilator, which is a genius way of turning an ambu bag into a ventilator, sort of a, a last line of defense for the sickest of COVID-19 patients. And more interestingly, Boston Scientific agreed to manufacture them at cost. So it was a great opportunity to uh, learn a little more about how folks are stepping up to aid in med tech innovation and med tech development. Let's hear from Aaron Tucker. Aaron Tucker, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So this is quite an amazing story, uh, the Coventer uh, ventilator, and uh, even made even more remarkable with the news this week that uh, Boston Scientific will be working with you to to develop these ventilators and make them available uh, at cost. So I wanted to have you take us back sort of the very beginning. What was the conversation that, you know what, we, we can develop a ventilator that could, uh, that could help fill this need? Yeah, so 31 days ago now, so exactly a month, Dr. Richardson had this idea to use a readily available bag valve mask, commonly known as an Ambu bag. It's a brand name. 
Uh, and he had the idea to use these, which are commonly used as mechanical hand ventilators all across the country. Uh, he had the idea to use them as a means of alternate ventilation in case we run out of ventilators. So if a patient goes to a hospital and all of the ventilators are taken up, the only other option the patient has is to have a nurse or, God forbid, a loved one actually ventilate that patient by hand using one of these bags. And this bag just forces air in and out of the patient. So this is this is the bag you've seen where you're, someone's squeezing it and, and sending air into the lungs? Yeah, that's correct. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, he had this idea to just basically create what we call a one-armed robot and replace a person who would have to ventilate a person by hand. Uh, so, you know, of course, freeze up nurses, um, but it's more likely that in, in such dire need that it would be a loved one. And, you know, there's all kinds of extra dangers associated with that, including the loved one getting the virus themselves or falling asleep or not being able to maintain consistent ventilation. So uh, that was where the idea came from. Uh, and then he quickly put together a first-generation prototype with his friend uh, Jim McGurn from MGC Diagnostics. It's a local company here. And once they had that first-generation built, they knew they needed to make some design changes. Um, they had built it out of what they had readily available. It was very uh, non-ideal. So at that point was when he came to us, which was on the 15th of March, I believe, uh, yeah, so he came to us. He said, okay, we need uh, this extra extra engineering expertise. And here at the Bakken Medical Devices Center, we specialize in early stage prototyping and product development. So that's my job here. I'm the technical development coordinator at the Bakken Medical Devices Center. So this is what I do every day. And from there, within two weeks, we had turned around five new versions of the prototype. And we had done, I think, six different tests of various types uh, to, to ensure that this would perform as expected and would perform properly in a clinical setting. And what was your initial response uh, to the approach? Was it, yes, this is definitely something we can do, or was it, well, wait a minute, this seems uh, far beyond what we're, uh, what we're really here for? Yeah, no, my initial response was that this is very simple. I mean, our design, I don't know if you've seen it, it's a slider crank mechanism. It has exactly three moving parts. So it's, an, it's a dead simple mechanism, 100 years old. Uh, people have been doing these things for, for decades on end now. And so once I saw that the design had to be as simple as that, then for me, it was, it was pretty straightforward from there. So if, if the design is, is simple, is the reason that this hasn't been done by others uh, just because there hasn't been the need there has been before? It's, just, it's fascinating to me that we're, we've got a space within MedTech, the ventilator space, that really hasn't seen... I think a great deal of innovation compared to other areas, at least. And and now now that demand is there, where there's there's ideas coming up, uh, even simple ones like this one that uh, that are arising and, and that are uh, helping to uh, again fill these needs. Yeah. So I guess to be clear, we we are not trying to replace the high end ventilators that you can buy. I mean, those things are very well designed. They work extremely well. They have all kinds of fantastic feedback that the clinician gets. You know, they tell you. Uh, different pressures and different uh, ratios for the inspiration versus expiration. Uh, and they're, they're very, very reliable. Um, and, and we're in such a unique time right now that we didn't think that they could build those high-end ventilators fast enough. So the reason that we built this is in case 
you just simply, even if you had the money to buy a high-end ventilator, it may be impossible to even acquire one. So we wanted to give another option in case of, of dire need. So we're certainly not trying to replace the high-end ones. This is kind of a bridge until you can get a better ventilator. That's a great point. So what was the process like from uh, the moment where the uh, concept was presented to you to, uh, to today? How many people were involved in that process? Uh, what, was the, what were the discussions like and the design process like? Yeah, so we quickly went through kind of our screening process here at the Bakken Medical Devices Center. Uh, and so I'm, I was the lead engineer on the university side. And so what we did was we, we quickly determined, you know, what, what are the things that need to be done on this? What needs to be improved from the initial prototype? Uh, what kind of testing would be relevant and meaningful to get this device approved by the FDA? And what does the timeline look like and what do we need to mass produce these? So we are not a mass production facility here at the U, but we have tons and tons of contacts uh, in the local Minnesota community, such as Boston Scientific, who are able to mass produce these. So our whole goal was we had to get this uh, ventilator to a point where a company could confidently come in and say, all right, now we can make this and we know that it works and we know that it's going to be reliable and efficient and they that they would have uh, the ability to produce this in mass. How did then Boston Scientific and enter the picture? Was this something that you had shopped around to, to different OEMs or uh, did they come to you? So uh, they, we, I mean, gosh, I don't even know. It, they kind of came to us because of our you know, very close relationships. So we have other projects that we have ongoing with Boston Scientific. Uh, we have a great relationship with Randy Schistel, who's the uh, VP of R&D, I believe, at their company. And he's a, he's a close friend to our center director. So we were, we were in talks with them pretty early on. And they knew that what we were doing, and it was kind of just a matter of them being confident that we had uh, the, the testing down and the reliability that they would be that they would need to, to make it themselves. Finally, what does this sort of this is a really unique experience for for someone entering the med tech space or someone in the med tech space. What does this experience say to you and to others at the university just about the opportunities for design and innovation and and working within the med tech industry? It's an industry that's really been called upon to uh, to rise and meet a whole bunch of previously unforeseen challenges. Yeah, so I guess I'll Maybe I'll answer this in a slightly different way than you expected, but here at the Earl Bakken Medical Devices Center, we have a process which we believe is unique across the country. Uh, we believe that we know how to properly innovate within the medical device space. It's something that we've been doing for years now. And by applying this process to a problem such as this, we were able to quickly come up with a viable solution. Um, so pretty much this is what I do normally when there's not a global pandemic. So it was nice to be able to apply this to a, a different situation and, and know that we still had the correct process and that we were still able to arrive at our goals in a timely manner. Do you have any next projects lined up? Oh, yeah, I've got plenty of those. I have projects in peritoneal dialysis and uh, I have a project in, in ECMO. And then I also have my PhD research. So. It's definitely a busy, busy time around here, even when there's not uh, COVID going on. Excellent. Well, uh, excellent work on this to you and to everyone involved. And uh, thanks for taking some time on the podcast. I have a feeling we'll be talking to you again sometime in the future. Well, thank you, Tom. It's been great being here.
So we heard from Aaron Tucker, interesting news over at the University of Minnesota, you being a Minnesota guy, I'm sure that uh, that's pleasant for you to hear that all the great stuff they're doing over there at the Earl Backen School. Really exciting. Yeah, you know, it, it, it speaks to to the, you know, strength of the, you know, medical device cluster here in Minnesota as well, because I mean, not only in Boston Sci- Scientific has a huge presence here, they worked with University of Minnesota on this, and now they're going to be the, the sole manufacturer, but you had a you know, just a whole host of, uh, you know, kind of like contract manufacturers and others and, you know, in the region that were, uh, you know, helping with that effort. So, I mean, it just shows like just you know, how many companies and people we have like you know, working on working on medical devices you know, around the Twin Cities. Absolutely. And we talked with Danielle about the uh, MedTech 100. I know you're really excited about having this tool available to mass device readers. Has it, uh, is it being well received or people... Uh, Finding it and enjoying it. Hey, I mean, we're starting to, yeah, we're starting to get page views. We're starting to get interest for it. I mean, I think it's it's a really neat tool. I mean, especially all the work that you know Danielle has done on our big one hundred, like really figuring out like who are the world's largest medical device companies, what's their you know revenue, employee numbers, R and D spend, and now you know we've also our our, our you know technical team here at WTD at WH Media has worked with Danielle to you know, put together this, uh, this index that kind of, you know, it gives a nice, you know, indication of like, how's the, the industry doing? I mean, I can look at it right now and, you know, kind of see that the industry is, you know, the stocks of the large companies are kind of reacting to, to everything that's happened, you know, kind of the way the overall market is. I mean, the, the shape of our index is very similar to the S&P 500, which, um, you know, kind of shows that, I mean, you think you, you hear about all these big contracts and all these device companies trying to do stuff to fight the pandemic. But as, as I as I mentioned before, they're still kind of stuck with all these, you know, problems around elective procedures. And and so, you know, the markets are kind of saying like, yeah, you're you know, you're you're facing your own troubles, too. And the big 100 is coming out later this year, right? Yep, coming out later this year, just so we can uh, try to get, you know, a few more, you know, uh, annual reports that, uh, you know, that you know, that end in the, in the fall, like into the, into the mix for the, for the big 100. So in the past it ran, you know, that issue of MDO came out in September and we had all kinds of articles, you know, getting thrown up on, you know, MDO and, and mass device off of it. Um, and now, you know, we're going to be having that come out in November this year. It's going to be an interesting one to see. It always is, but uh, just given the impact of the pandemic, of course, to see how companies fared. Uh, how can folks get a hold of the uh, of last year's Big 100? Is that still available? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you go to uh, medical design and outsourcing, uh, we've got a, a nice little um, you know thing on the right bar of the website where you can look at you know digital versions of our print, past print editions. Uh, you know, take a look at our a September print edition, and you could also just uh, you know look up articles like you know the twenty largest medical device companies in the world. You can see, you know, that's like just one just one piece of content we do off of the the big one hundred on our websites that you could that you could check out. Terrific. And if anyone wants to get a hold of you, Chris Newmarker, how can we reach you via email and social media? Hey, you can reach me at uh, C New Marker, just like a new marker at WTWHmedia.com. And I'm on Twitter at New Marker and I'm on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, always, always, always happy to you know, chat with our audience. Excellent. And I'm on Twitter at MedTechTom. I'm on LinkedIn as uh, Tom Salemi. And you, can, of course, can reach me similarly at uh, T Salemi at WTWHmedia.com. And we'll wrap up this episode of 
Device Talks Weekly. Thanks for joining us. Please uh, remember to subscribe to this so you'll get future episodes sent directly to your listening device. Tell your friends, share it on social media, include Chris and I in those conversations so we can uh, hear what you're talking about or see what you're talking about. And uh, thanks again for joining us. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks a lot. Everyone stay safe and healthy.